You're listening to the Raptors Rapture Podcast. What's up, guys? Welcome to the Raptors Rapture Podcast. As always, I am your host, Hunter Surplus. Today, we've got a very special guest for some very special Raptors talk. A lot of history made this week. We've got Connor Chambers chiming in, talking Raptors from the Toronto Sports View podcast. Connor, my man, how's it going? Good, Hunter. It's been it's been a minute, my man. Like it has I, I been. Like, Fig, like we haven't. Last time we chatted, I think we did like a like a massive multitude of sports. We had the Raptors. We had I think Leafs and Blue Jays in the podcast. It was kind of crazy. Yeah. Um, so it was it was a lot. But uh, I'm I'm excited to hop back on and uh, talk specifically Raptors and the hottest team in the NBA right now. Yeah, and uh, for people who haven't listened to a Connor and Hunter podcast. These things usually go way longer than we <laughs> expect them to, so uh, we might have to split this one up into into two if it does end up getting like that. The big thing that was coming up a lot, obviously this week, was the trade deadline on Thursday. Were the Raptors going to make a move? If they did, who were they going to trade for? What type of player were they going to trade for? What other teams were making trades in the Eastern Conference? Should we be scared of a team like the Bucks who could make a trade to get somebody and just dominate the Eastern Conference. However, the Raptors stayed put. The Bucks stayed put. The only real contender team in the Eastern Conference that made any significant moves was the Miami Heat. So my first question to you, Connor, are you happy that the Raptors stayed put instead of going out and tried to add another piece to this team? Um, honestly, yeah. Like, I mean, looking at the team, there's not too much that I would have done to like I don't think that there were a lot of options out there on the market that really could have benefited the Raptors um there was one there was one piece or one player that I realistically thought that the Raptors could maybe take a run at that might help them out and bolster them and that was uh, Danilo Gallinari from the OKC Thunder um I'm very happy that the Miami Heat did not get Danilo Gallinari because I think he is a very good player um, and that he could definitely have benefited the Miami Heat in terms of their team needs, but he could have also uh, done a lot of stuff with the Toronto Raptors that that's the direction that they chose to go in. Um, saying that, though, if, when this team is healthy, we've seen what they can do, and it's a pretty solid team. The fact of the matter is they have been healthy. So um, I think, uh, I've, I've, and I've used this analogy before, once the team fully gets healthy, like those are your trade deadline acquisitions, right? Like those are those are the pieces that come back in form the team and now it's like this is what we envision this team to be um i'm completely fine with it if they had made a move i was going to be fine with it too but i also said if they didn't i wouldn't freak out and, and be upset uh i don't want to be that person that wants them to make a move for the sake of making a move if it doesn't make sense and i didn't really think that it made too much sense here so as a raptors fan i'm i'm pretty content with how everything went especially with the fact that as you alluded to there's not too many big players in the east that made any moves yeah, I agree. And I also think like them staying put is just like a very Raptors thing to do. We saw way back in the day when it was DeMar and Kyle Lowry, they pretty much stayed put through regular season and, and through trade deadlines. And they stayed with the same core for years and years and years. And it looks like the Raptors are trying to keep that going this year. You see how, how much like a team chemistry can come into play when you have a lot of turnover and, and how beneficial that is for a team. Obviously, you're seeing that with a team like the Bucks, who, you know, they obviously lost Brogdon in the offseason, but everyone else is pretty much is pretty much the exact same team. And I think that is 
I think that's a good way to go, especially for a young team like the Raptors, that there's no building in new chemistry with the younger guys like Terrence Davis, like Fred Van Fleet, who has been in the league a while, but is still a a younger player in the league. Pascal Siakam, he's emerging in a new role. Having someone else come in and maybe shift the dynamic might have hurt this team a little bit. And we look at how well they're playing right now, right? They're 13 straight wins. That's a franchise record. It's the longest active streak in the NBA right now. One of the longest that the league has seen thus far this season. And you look at that and you say, how can you move any of the guys when you're in a streak like this? What can they, what can anyone really be doing better and where can you get better on, on the team? And I think the only real way that the Raptors could have been better is you know, maybe pick up a good rebounder, but are you going to give up a Gasol or an Ibaka who brings so many other things to the table for this Raptors team to get a guy like that? Or are you going to take minutes away from either of those guys to get a, a few extra rebounds a night? And I don't know if that's something that that the Raptors really need. It obviously hasn't been hurting them all that much. They, they struggled a lot with rebounding when Pascal Siakam wasn't on the floor with his injury, but now they've caught, you know, they're still struggling, but it's not as bad as it once was and, and how dire the situation seemed when they were getting out rebounded by 10, 15 rebounds a night. Now it's a little, you know, it's still getting out rebound, but it's more like six, seven or eight. And they're still able to win games. Yeah. After it's the- not, it's not like, it's not like a wide margin, right? Like the, I think that Raptors fans sort of think about this as, um, this is something that's a massive um, uh, issue for this team. And it's really not like if you take a look at the numbers, especially over the past couple of weeks, you will see that the numbers for rebounding, especially haven't been all that terrible. And there have been games that the Raptors have won the rebound battle. So um, I think once we see everybody fully healthy again in this, I kind of keep coming back to this once everyone's fully healthy. I think that once you get to that point, the rebounding can almost sort of figure itself out and um the the boys are playing bigger look you got guards like terrence davis and kyle lowry that come in get rebounds out of nowhere and you're like how the hell these guys get in the play like where the fuck these guys come from right so um it's it's crazy so um i i really like the way this team plays and i think that the rebounding itself will figure itself out within this team i'm not too concerned about it yeah i i totally agree with that right there um you mentioned a guy like danilo gallinari potentially being uh, a type of player that the Raptors might look to get and, and might be a good addition to the team. And so we know that after the trade deadline, the big thing that comes up for acquiring players is is the buyout market, who gets bought out. And and obviously we don't know the situations now, who's going to be bought out by which team and, and which players are going to be available and which teams are going to be looking for what players. There's there's a whole different science that has, that goes into this that we don't know yet. But is there anywhere on the buyout market that you can see them adding pieces? Like, do you think they should get a shooter? Do you think they should get a a Walmart version of Danilo Gallinari, a buyout version of Danilo Gallinari? Um, I mean, it, it, like, it wouldn't hurt. I'm just like, for me, I'm just trying to wrap my head around who exactly that would be on the bio market. And I don't know if I can come up with a name for that type of player. Um, there have been a couple of names that I've sort of kind of, I'm keeping my eye out on. And one of them is Bismack Biombo. Um, I think that if he gets bought out, uh, I think that the Raptors have to make a move on that, uh, especially it, uh, like coming back to that rebounding thing. If you need somebody to come in and, and input him for about five, 10 minutes a game, 
and really solidify. If you re- if you see that you're getting absolutely decimated on the boards for whatever reason that night, and the boys just don't have that jump, and you inject a guy like Bismack Biombo into your lineup, he's going to he's going to offer that to you. He gives you that option, and he's not going to be coming at a price tag like what Andre Drummond's contract is or anything like that. Um, I think that we've seen what Biombo can do in the playoffs, and 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 what he can do in important games in a Raptors uniform, it wouldn't hurt to even at least explore that option if he's available on the buyout market. Um, another name that I've thought of that I think would be actually kind of interesting for this team is Vince Carter. Uh, if he is bought out by the Atlanta Hawks, which he really should be like if Atlanta should really let him go and try to win a championship. If this is indeed his last year, don't hold on to him. Cause your team is, is <laughs> absolute trash. Like your team sucks. Don't hold on to him, please. Uh, do do the NBA favor and let him make one run at a championship. Christ. So um, I think that he would be an interesting fit in this Raptors team. Uh, I think that he would do a lot of good for the young guys on this team. Even guys like a Terrence Davis, too, I think would really flourish from having a guy like Vince Carter on the team. Um, so I, I think that those two players in particular, just from the rumors of maybe potential buyouts, I think would be of interest to the Raptors. Um, but, you know, there's always surprise buyout candidates every year that come up and uh, and we sort of like, oh, like like for last year, Wesley Matthews is a bio candidate and the Bucks got him. I didn't really see that happening uh, and I thought it was a good fit for them. So maybe that might happen again this year with a potential surprise buyout candidate and the Raptors sort of maybe jump on it. But from the candidates that I've been hearing, I think those two are pretty decent names for the needs and desires of this Raptors team moving forward. Yeah, I like that Bismack Biombo suggestion that you made there just because he could be a spark plug off the bench. Like we saw that, um, what was it, 2015 playoffs? Yeah, yeah, yeah. like the, yeah. the spark plug off the bench, like grab 20 rebounds a night or something. Obviously, he won't do that on this team, but if he could come off the bench and, you know, if Abaka and Gasol are out there and, you know, they're getting crushed on the boards, you could throw him out there and, and there's a little bit more energy. By all means, he's not going to be playing any more than probably like eight minutes a night. Yeah. But it's a good it's a good thing to keep in your back pocket. And if you want to go really big against a team like the Sixers, you can go even bigger with a guy like Bismack Biombo coming off the bench and not having to worry about being undersized on the bench there. Um, but like, you know, we look at last year's um, buyout market. You mentioned Wesley Matthews. But, you know, we just picked up Jeremy Lin. People thought that that was going to kind of turn the turn the needle a bit there and mm-hmm. and really be an impact player on the team that's usually usually not how it works <laughs> disclaimer <right? laughs> yeah like so if people i've seen people on twitter talking about oh we should get this guy in on the biomarker we should do this we should do that like we should look to improve this part of our game the shooting the defense and it's like you know you're probably not going to improve any further than you have like any time past the trade deadline unless something drastic really happens like Jeremy Lin's a perfect example people thought he was going to be a a a game changer at points and he played a total of zero minutes in the NBA finals and basically was useless in the playoffs yeah but that's how the buyout market works I guess yeah, I mean, it's it's almost like an in case of emergency type thing, right? Like in yeah. the, in the playoffs, it's almost if you're if you're gonna see a guy like Bismack Biombo in the playoffs, it's gonna be one of a few different scenarios. Like you mentioned, if we're like we mentioned both, if if you're getting killed on the glass or you want to go big against a team like you mentioned, the 76ers or something like that, or maybe even the Bucks. 
um, and you want to inject that size in there, and you could run like a Bach at the four potentially with Bismack in the five and go big with Siakam at the three, like whatever, right? Or if Abaka or Gasol get into foul trouble, that's when you can start to see a guy like Bismack Biombo. But those type of players, you can't expect them to come off your bench, give you 15 to 20 minutes a game because that's just not realistic. They're getting bought out for a reason. So um, to come in there and expect that from those players, I'd heard when Lynn came in here last year, the uh, the media here was saying, oh, you know, he can he can come up and give you 40% from three and he might, he might give you 15, 20 points a game. And I'm sitting there, I'm going, what the hell are you guys talking about? Like, you can't be, you can't be serious with this. Like, there's no way don't boost this guy because it just leads to fan disappointment. We can't be doing that. Don't mislead your fans. It's not going to happen. Bismack Biombo will not get you 20 point, 20 rebounds again in the playoffs. It won't happen again, but he can still maybe be a valuable asset in certain key situations. We just can't expect to have those big types of moments from bio market players. Just not realistic. Absolutely. And now going back to the the trade deadline, I mentioned it right at the, off the top that like no real team in the East made any real significant moves except for the Miami Heat. A lot of the big moves happened in the Western Conference. And even then, it wasn't the big name teams that are, are real contenders. So with the heat in mind, are you more worried about them now than before the deadline when they didn't have Iggy Crowder, Solomon Hill? Um, yeah, I mean, look, they, they got they got better, right? Like I don't think I don't think that we can sit there and say that they got worse. Like I think that they got better as a team. Uh, Jay Crowder is a really good defender. Iggy can be a good defender as well, can hit a three. He's just a vet. He's won multiple titles, finals MVP, kind of knows how to do it. Um, so those those signings kind of I look at that and I say, well, they got a they got better like defensively. They got a bit deeper, but is it really uh, is it really trades to push the needle for this team? I don't think so. Uh, I do think that it makes them a tougher opponent, but I don't think that my perception of the Miami Heat changes from this. And um, you might disagree, but I don't really see um, those additions being like the be all end all of like, oh, now Miami is watch out for Miami because here they come. I, I still think Miami will be a tough opponent in the playoffs, but I would have been a lot more worried if they had gotten Iggy, Jay Crowder and Danilo Gallinari. Then I would have been like, oh, shit. Well, maybe, maybe we got to be a bit careful here because um, they now have some uh, spot up shooters and uh, guys that are willing to grind it out on the defensive end. You pair that with a Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, uh, and and now you're off to the races. But um, this team, I, I don't really think that they're there yet, but um, I, I you might differ. I just don't really see it. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Um and I, I think that they honestly went in the wrong direction in terms mm-hmm. of the guys that they should have got because they already have a really good defense. They pretty much just got rid of players who weren't playing for what they got in Igudala yeah. Hill, and, and Crowder. So they had the option to to get rid of those guys and, and come back with a better offense. I mean... Their, their defense, like I said, has been really good. And you, you see it in the games where the Raptors have played the Miami Heat. They have been grinded out games. They've been very tough games to watch at yeah. times. Yeah. Very, very tough. Very, like, nose-to-the-grindstone type games. And very 80s. Yes, very exactly. 80s. And Igudala does help that. And, and Crowder does help that. But, frankly, like, they aren't 
they're not like they're gonna take minutes away from guys who can score. Who you know Tyler Hero, who obviously is not a good defender. Kendrick Nunn, obviously not a good defender. But they're able to work with that and still get these guys out there who can score. Like Iguodala over his past two seasons has only shot thirty one percent from three, and that is really not good. And like Jay Crowder has been called a three and D guy, but like he doesn't shoot the three well. Same thing with him, yeah. like thirty ish percent last two seasons on on threes from him like it's not the right direction for them and I think that's a good thing for the Raptors because in those you know grinded out type of games we've seen the Raptors struggle at times but that's also where they like succeed because their defense is so good and if you don't have to worry about a a Kendrick Nunn or a Tyler Hero out there for you know 28 minutes and they're only playing 20 that's eight minutes where you can be a little bit more on the inside and, and trying to really stop from getting inside the paint because the rest of the team, not not exactly great shooters for Miami. I know like Jimmy Butler is like shooting under 20% from three this year. And that's just, that's something that you don't see in the NBA anymore. And right. if the Raptors are able to get going offensively in any capacity, I think that they have a real, real chance to dominate the Miami Heat. So I'm not more worried about them. I, I like you said, like it does make them better. But is it better in the right way? I I don't think so personally. I I don't know. I don't even really get how they paid a guy who hasn't played this year. Like Iggy hasn't stepped on the court this year, and you're gonna this, pay this guy fifteen million next year? Are you kidding? Yeah, this what? guy is this guy's the biggest scam artist, man. Oh my this god, guy this guy's out here robbing teams. He's yeah. made like fifty million over the last like four years from over being over like 33 years of age and he's made like an extra 50 million dollars i don't get how he's done it this dude is is like a master uh hypnotist or some shit he's got some something going on man i don't know but uh kudos to him i guess like go get your bag but you're not that i don't know you're not worth 15 million yeah <laughs> like yeah he he just is like he's one of those duck cleaning callers and who just yeah. like hit on like a like he just like called the right old person and was just like yo i you know you guys need your duck clean yeah here here's my social insurance number here's my <laughs> visa card and it's just that <laughs> this guy has he's he's yeah. he scammed the game he's doing it yeah. right evidently that's what um, that's what the old guy thinks he's actually <laughs> coming to like clean his ducks that he has yeah. like pet ducks in his house and he doesn't realize you're actually like duck cleaning and he's yeah now he gets really upset but uh yeah goes. but hey i guess good on him you got to respect the grind and if yeah. it makes if it makes a team if it makes a team worse uh that we're gonna probably play in the playoffs then I'm all good for it. Love I'm all it. Good for it. I like. Hey, I like Justice Winslow too. Like, I I know yeah. he's had an off year. I know he's had injuries. Look, I get it. But uh, for a team like Memphis, I think that that's a really good add for someone who wasn't playing for you at all, right? Like, Ig- Ig- uh, Andre Iguodala was not playing for the Memphis Grizzlies, and nor did he ever plan on suiting up in a Grizzlies uniform. You get a guy like Justice Winslow, who's kind of this like, but like like low risk, high reward type player right now where you're buying low on him. And the potential is still there. I think with justice Winslow, he's not old. Like he's still a young player. Um, I like what they did. I think that the Grizzlies took a big W in the, in the trade deadline. So good. Oh, for them. Unbelievable. And he fits the timeline perfectly yeah. with them. You know, he's 23 years old. I think it's yeah. yeah he fits right Love in it. with them. Yeah. So another thing that happened on Thursday, Thursday was a huge day for the NBA, I guess. Um, the, the all-star team captains made their team selections. 
Giannis, if, I don't know, if you haven't been on Twitter <laughs> in the past few days, Giannis. Wait, picked, sorry, what? Who, who did what? <laughs> Giannis picked Kyle Lowry and Pascal Siakam. And like I mentioned, Twitter was going crazy. Uh, are fans going a little bit overboard here, or do they have the right to go nuts about this? No, I love it. I love it. Like, I'm right there with them. I was, I was sitting there when the, when the draft happened. I'm like, here comes the Pascal Siakam draft pick. Let's go. And I, and I was kind of, I was, I was actually kind of a little surprised that uh, Giannis picked Joel, but then I, I got it because I'm like, look, he's trying to pair the African brothers. Like, I get it. And then as soon as the Joel pick happened, I'm like, well, Pascal's next. There's no way that Pascal does. I was shocked at how high Pascal went. I, like, you know what? I, I had a feeling, I had this feeling that Giannis was was really going to take Pascal. And I don't know if it's just the Eastern Conference thing, the fact that he's played him a lot. But I don't know. I, I, and I don't know if LeBron was being facetious in this or what, but he was like, oh, that's a really good pick. Like, that yeah, was a really was good like, pick. Yeah, he was like, I was going to pick him next. Yeah. What the hell? I was so shocked. I, I don't know. I think these guys just see, like, like Siakam is just balling. I I know like lately he's been a little off, but look, he's had his, he's had really good moments this year where he's been out balling. And uh, I guess that the players want to be around him maybe too. Like the guy's a good dude, right? Like no one's ever complained about Pascal Siakam. Guys always got a smile on his face and he's laughing. Maybe in, in an all-star game, maybe these dudes just want to be around good guys, right? Like, I don't know. Maybe that's a thing that goes into drafting someone. I don't know. I've never been a captain of an all-star team. That's just not the way (laughs) I don't know. Right. But um, maybe that takes a little bit into account Uh, either way. Look, uh, I think that uh, I, I think that the Raptors fans, I think half of them are taking this seriously. And I think that the other half are kind of just going along with the ride. And they're like, Oh, I can't wait for the tampering to happen. Right. Like that, that's where I think that's where I am, where it's just kind of like, I say that, but do I necessarily think it'll happen? No. But discussions and dialogue happen all the time, man. Right? Like this is this is one of the only chances in the year, the one of the only opportunities where the best of the best players in the league come together in one city in one spot and stay with each other for a few days. So you you know you know dialogue's gonna happen. You know that that Kyrie KD talks with other players are gonna start to happen. And uh, who knows, maybe, you know, um, guys start making their pitches, right? Like you got Nick Nurse, Pascal Siakam and Kyle Lowry. Giannis says Kyle Lowry is a good dude in the locker room. How does Giannis know? Who's he asking? How does he know he's a good dude in the locker room if he's not in the locker room? He's got to be asking players, right? So um, I think I think the whole thing is kind of funny. Um, but saying that, look it's it's there like factual statement is that nick nurse is coaching a team with pascal siakam kyle lowry and Giannis antetokounmpo that's factual <laughs> so take with that what you want maybe Giannis really likes what he sees in a coach and and the players and the the com- camaraderie and and all that's all that fun stuff but uh i, th- I think it's kind of an interesting dynamic no like i don't know i, I it's, it's kind of it's very interesting so i get it like i get it Absolutely. And, and I'm here for it, man, because when when have Raptors fans ever been able to say like the the best player, the second best player in the league is like going to come to our team? It's always been the other way around. Oh, That's right. Chris, ba- Chris Bosh is going to leave. Yeah. Kawhi Leonard, he's definitely leaving. I know when Vince uh, Carter, yeah, leaving. Vince Carter, he's leaving. DeMar DeRozan at points, you know, people were saying yeah. he was going to leave. 
you know, this is a, it's a nice feeling. So I think that the Raptors fans should definitely just take it and run with it for these next two years until he signs, until he pens that deal with the Milwaukee Bucks, take it and run because this is just like, this is something that the Raptors have never felt before. You always hear that. Like I said, they always hear that the players are leaving or they're not staying or no player is going to come here in free agency. And I like, I don't even know where people are getting the notion that like, Pascal Siakam is unhappy in Milwaukee like they're going to be a 70 win team this year probably and like it's I get if they don't win a finals like a championship or whatever that that happens but you know Raptors fans do your thing take it run with it keep saying it speak it into existence LeVar Ball the hell out of this thing yeah LeVar Ball the hell out of this thing man it worked it worked for him it'll work for us that's all I'm saying that's my guy man LeVar Ball oh my god he really he asked talking about speaking something in existence with his son geez he really yeah. spoke about that he's like no he playing for lakers, he <laughs> <playing> for lakers. <laughs> okay man like you do you <laughs> Shit. like no it was honestly like like the raptors fans if you have a chance to be excited be excited look at the end of the day and i've said this in multiple different uh various public platforms where i believe that Still, the most likely outcome out of all this is that Giannis resigns with Milwaukee. Saying that, if he does decide at some point he would like to test free agency or he would like to move on from the Bucks, let's just say in his head he goes, you know what, I'm now exploring free agency. I've realized that maybe I don't want to stay with Milwaukee. I legitimately think that Toronto would be the second the, the second option on this list of potential possibilities, where Milwaukee is number one. And I do legitimately think that Toronto would be number two. I just think that there's a lot of ties coming back to Toronto in terms of um, Masai Ujiri, obviously number one. Number two, an amazing young team, young core, but that's solid, can build around Giannis. The timelines mesh perfectly. Uh, and three, it's an international team, right? All these different countries and people from all across the world were training for the Raptors last year in the playoff run. This is an international team. It's the only team outside of uh, the, the United States. Um, it's the one where we connect with the most in terms of cultural diversity. There's a lot tying Giannis to here. If he chooses to leave from the Bucks, uh, I still do think that's the most likely outcome of him staying. But it's always nice to dream. And you know what, Raptors fans? I love it. Take it and run with it, just like you said. LeVar Ball it. I don't care what you're doing. But just I, I, I love that whole notion. We we're finally confident as a fan base where we can look around the league and say, no, no, he's, he's coming here or he's staying here. Right. It's not the other. Oh, well then like, would you, would you take a first round pick for, for our star player then if we're going to trade him before he walks, like there's no, like those talks don't exist anymore. Right. Like we were never thinking, well, let's trade Fred Van Vliet because maybe he's going to leave in the off season. Right. Like that, that has, that's, that was a thought that never crossed our minds as a fan base. And I think that we're evolving and to see that is really nice as a fan. And one of the people that would uh, bring Giannis to Toronto would be Masai Ujiri. And we know they have a really good uh, relationship. But there was some tension in Raptors fans going from the happiness of Raptors fans that Giannis is 100% coming to Toronto to Masai is possibly leaving and going to the Knicks. Um, That was shut down very, very quickly. It was, you know, 24 hours of panic for Raptors fans that, (laughs) you know, the the Knicks fired Steve Mills and it was open. And then you heard reports that Adam Silver was pushing uh, Masai Ujiri to the Knicks, which if that 
if that was true, that would have been a bunch of bullshit, man. Like that, that would have been, been garbage. Oh my god. Um, but in those like twenty four hours, were you ever worried about like was there a point where you were like, man, this actually might happen? Masai going to the Knicks? No, 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 no. I I literally I saw it come through, um, and then I pulled up so much evidence that says that this guy will never entertain the Knicks. Number one, um. The Knicks have always been trying to pursue Masai Ujiri. This hasn't been, uh, like, this isn't uncommon knowledge. Like, in 2017, uh, Woj tweeted out that they were looking for Masai Ujiri to um, step into the organization at some point. They've been pursuing him for the last, like, three, four years, his team. uh, Publicly, at least. Um, That video uh, a few years ago where he was on the George Stromalombolis show, and, uh, and he said to him, he goes, please cheer. Uh, after I say this, but I hate the Knicks and I will never, I will never go to the Knicks and I don't care. I hate them. Right. Like seeing like you, you can always just play that video whenever any Knicks fans like, well, maybe Masai Ujiri might come play that video and they never reply because they're like, oh, well, I guess you're right. Like he hates us. He doesn't, I don't think that he would be entertained enough to go to the Knicks. He can get whatever he wants here. Um, and I know that there are fans that have said, well, why, why isn't he signed yet? Why isn't MLSC? Well, maybe MLSE has come to Messiah and they've said, look, like, here's a blank check, man. Fill it out. What's it going to take? And maybe he's just like, you know what? I don't know what I want to do yet. Um, basketball wise, I don't think he would leave the Raptors to go to another team. But I do genuinely believe that he might take another role um, in basketball, maybe to growing the game in Africa or moving into something in terms of politics. But I think that that would be his next move. I don't think his next move would be to go to another NBA franchise. I think that he would end his NBA franchise tenure with the Raptors if he does choose to to pursue another opportunity. But, um, you know, we heard this Washington Wizards thing before. We hear this New York Knicks thing before. It's nice, actually, as a Raptors fan. I take pride in it. Like, people want our guys. Like, people, people want our front office because we do such a great job. But I'm confident in them and the and the belief that they know that they still have unfinished business here. Um, and I just never I never really lost a wink of sleep over it. But yeah, and like Masai, a lot of this stuff is coming out like it's a a coveted free agent. Like I've yes, I can't remember a time where like maybe coaching like coaches and stuff like that have got this kind of traction and, and coverage and stuff but Babcock. yeah Babcock like, did a little bit yeah but like outside of that like you don't hear of a front office guy a president of basketball operations ever in the media as much as a Masai Ujiri is in terms of teams wanting him and I like I wasn't I wasn't scared that he was ever going to go to the Knicks the one thing that I was worried of was if James Dolan wants Masai is Masai actually that good of a like it mustn't be him because if if James Dolan likes somebody, they suck. So <laughs> so so them not signing Masai just kind of confirmed the fact that you know Masai is 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 pretty legit. That was just like that was my one thing that was going on through my mind. I was like, is Masai actually not that good of at doing his job? Like, what's what did he do wrong? Like, what kind of blunder has he made? Yeah. Um, but yeah, like thankfully he's he's not gone. And and like you said, like he's being coveted. Like like I've never seen from a front office guy. And it's really, really cool to see you're proud of it. I'm proud of it. The team is just, they're going in the right direction. And a lot of it is because of how Masai has been able to, to churn out a really good roster and, and bring on the right people as staff and make the, make the tough decisions, but make the right decisions at the same time. 
and and being a guy who's able to really develop you know a, a really good culture uh, that's been a really big part of Masai Ujiri and like the Knicks come on man you got that's just they're so they're so irrelevant man they're so irrelevant I don't even want they're they're actually a pathetic excuse for a franchise I have been so public about this the Knicks should have folded years ago they like Dolan shouldn't even be an owner like it's actually a disgrace that the NBA still allows this guy to, to own this team like sell the team you're trash you don't even know what you're doing. I'm so, oh my God. Well, that's fine. Actually, I hate the Knicks anyways, so I'm perfectly content with him owning the team. But as a Knicks fan, if I were a Knicks fan, I would I would be livid with this team, man. This team is hot garbage. They are so bad. They don't improve year after year. They get these high draft picks. They turn out to be bust because they can't develop them properly. Mitchell Robinson's coming off the bench. I can go on and on about how awful this team is being run. Yet here they are, and people still talk about them like they are some god-tier team. No, they suck. They are garbage. Stop this. I hate the Knicks. I hate I hate I hate everything about them. I hate them. Like that's my rant. I hate them. Oh my god, they're the worst. The worst. Worst. So I think that's a really good uh good way to end our new segment of this podcast. We'll be back in just a second with our on court talk. All right, we are back, and as always, our second portion of this show, we are going to be talking more of the on-court side of the Toronto Raptors. And as we've talked about and as everyone knows, the Raptors beat their franchise record for wins in a row. Their previous record was 11. They got to 12 on Wednesday night against the Indiana Pacers. And on Friday night... They got to 13 wins in a row with another win over the Pacers. A little bit more of a dominant win uh, compared to that win on Wednesday night. First question, are they the least talked about, like, super elite team in the NBA? Um, I would I would uh, have agreed with that maybe like a week ago. But now I'm seeing all this coverage on the Raptors. And I'm like, where, where the hell is all this coming from? And I know there's people that have made jokes they say, okay, Adam Silver, like, relax. Like, <laughs> you're pushing it. You're pushing a little too far now. But, um, look, I still think overall that, that they are. It's just the fact that nobody in the U.S. watches Raptors games, right? Like, listen to some of the commentary. Oh, I got into it with Ryan Hollins on Twitter, like, a week or two ago. <laughs> because he said something about um, them not utilizing Serge Ibaka. But he's had one of the highest usage rates of his career in that we're a young team, he said, but we're statistically above the median of older teams. So we're in the uh, we're in the tier of older teams compared to younger teams just based on average age. So um, it's because of guys like like Marcus Hall and Kyle Lowry, they kind of bump that up. But still, uh, we have vets on this team. It's like we don't have vets or something is what he's saying. Anyways, uh, guy, guy's a clown, but no one, the, like the guys, people that are casual fans, they don't watch Raptors games, right? Like they watch the Lakers, they watch the Celtics, they watch uh, maybe like the 76ers, they watch those type of teams, and then they just assume, oh, well, like, look, Toronto, Toronto lost Kawhi Leonard, so they're, they're gonna, they're gonna miss the playoffs, so they're gonna be an eight seed, or like whatever, and the Pistons will be a fifth seed, and the Hawks will be a sixth seed, and it's like, you guys are paid, this is your job. I'm still heated about the Knicks thing, I think it's kind of <laughs> carrying over. <laughs> like, you guys, like, you guys, this is your job, you're paid to do this. Like, how do you not watch, and I get you can't watch all the games at once, trust me, I get it. But if you're going to speak on a team, at least have some type of basic knowledge of, I've seen highlights or something 
of a team. It's like they actually haven't watched a team and they have the audacity to speak on us. Um, it's because we the ESPN doesn't come out here. Uh, TNT doesn't come out here. They only really showcase the Raptors when they're in the States. And I think a lot of that is due to the high cost of actually producing a show in Canada. And they've both networks have actually spoken on it. Uh, and ABC included, and they said, look, it's it costs a lot to clear customs and go into Canada and set up and stuff. So um, the coverage isn't really there. But I do think that overall, yeah, they are definitely one of the most uh, underrated, uh, not talked about super elite teams in the league, especially with everything that's gone up. If this was the Lakers and they had this record with the injuries that we've sustained throughout the year, they would be the media would be sucking them off. Are you kidding? Like they would, they would be, they would go nuts for the Lakers. They say, well, it's the championship team for sure. No one's stopping this team. You wait till they're fully healthy because no one's going to stop this team. They are the best team. So it's just, it's, it's all about location, I think really. And that's kind of what it comes down to, unfortunately. Yeah. And I think another big thing with it is like, they're not a flashy style no. of, of team, right? You talk about, you, you mentioned the Lakers there. They don't have the, obviously the LeBron factor is a totally different scenario, but they don't have the the showtime effect. They don't have the flashy plays, the alley-oops, the, the big dunks, the posters, the crossovers. I, I mean, there has been over the past couple of weeks here, but like you don't see them on House of Highlights that often. You don't see the Bleacher Report, yeah. uh, the highlights, the NBA.com highlights, all that kind of stuff. It's 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 the niche kind of people that, like you said, it's not the casual fans that are that are following the Raptors. It's the guys who listen to the Zach Lowe podcast. It's the guys who listen to Bill Simmons say that Pascal Siakam's a top seven guy in the NBA earlier in the season. It's it's the people who listen to the ringer and 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 talk about the, the Raptors for 10, 15 minutes when they had never really done so in the past that are really following the NBA. But they know that the Raptors are legit anyways. And like you said, like I I, they don't get the ratings because a there's not the coverage b they're not flashy and c they're just you know they're just winning they they're keeping on keeping on this is kind of standard raptor stuff right yeah. like they've they're they've been a 50 win team for the past like feels like forever it feels like my whole lifetime they've been a 50 win team even though it's really just been this past you know obviously the DeRozan Lowry era Kawhi era and now this Siakam era it looks like they're going to be a 50 win team for for time to come and like it's it's honestly, it sucks to say that they're not getting the coverage, but I mean, obviously it has picked up a little bit as they've been winning and winning and winning and pulling away with the second seed. But it's also kind of nice because you go in and when you win against a team like the the Lakers, or if you go in and beat the Bucks and you go in and whoop the Pacers who have been even getting more run than the Raptors, they're going to give you the respect that you deserve after after those big games. You don't care about them coming in and saying, oh yeah, the Raptors beat the the Grizzlies like they would with the Lakers or, oh yeah, Pascal Siakam had 35 against the Spurs like they would with a guy like LeBron. Yeah. And, and then when he comes in and has, and puts up maybe not a 35, not a, not a 40 or anything like that, but he puts up a 24 with three blocks and, and makes all these really nice defensive plays. That's when people go, oh snap, like this guy is actually really, really good. He doesn't, yeah just he doesn't just put up the points he doesn't just get the rebounds but he makes winning plays and that's like a thing we say with Kyle Lowry but it's that's the type of team that the Raptors are and it's not the it's not the flashiness that the NBA loves to promote and that's kind of what that's kind of what happens and you know you're right it's it's not flashy it's not sexy it's not the best thing and if I'm a casual fan I probably don't want to see it so that's why they're not talking about them but I kind of like it yeah I I think 
I, I think I think that a lot of it actually stems from having Kawhi Leonard for that year, right? Like you think about his game, it's not flashy. He does he does make highlight plays, but he reacts like he's done it every single day. And that's just a normal thing for him. And this team kind of comes in, they get their wins, they do their stuff, they're in and out. And they know what they have to do. They have that championship DNA in them. They have that hardworking mentality. They have like next game's not promised. Like the next win's not promised. We just got to go out. We got to next play isn't promised. We got to go out and we got to do the things that we need to do. Um, and I think that last year was a very important year for that. Uh, they have that champion mentality. They, they know what they have to do. So these these games to them are just like another game. It's like, well, we know even our style of play, we know what we have to do. We're, we don't need to be flashy. We just have to be efficient. And efficiency is often so overlooked because it's not that highlight real play. Well, guess what? That highlight real play might cost you two points on the defensive end because like you're you're too busy celebrating or you're not paying attention to what's going on right after, right? So um, I think that a lot of that is actually positive news to the Raptors, and if and if that doesn't give them as much coverage, and so be it. I'm I'm kind of okay with it, like you said. Yeah, and and you mentioned like the star power of Kawhi last year. They don't have that this year. Um, you know, Pascal Siakam might even be a touch overrated um, with some of what mm-hmm. people are what people are saying about him, and that's you know what I'll take that any day of the week. Um, but you have guys like Kyle Lowry who is probably the most underrated point guard in the league, and then you've got. Fred Van Fleet, who is also an underrated point guard. And then you've got Rondé Hollis Jefferson, who is a really useful player, but he's not he's not a like a really great NBA player. Like no one is saying, Oh yeah, I'm gonna go watch Rondé Hollis Jefferson play basketball. <laughs> right? They've got they've got Marcus All, who is at his prime was really, really good and really effective, yep. and people would like seeing him, but has turned a, a, a page in his in his uh in his career and is not necessarily that sexy player that people have loved to see. Serge Ibaka, yeah, he's probably the handsomest man in the NBA, but you're not going to you're not <laughs> going to It's art. It's in. art, Hunter. It's, <laughs> it's art. <laughs> you're not going to be coming in and saying, "Yeah, like I I really want to watch Serge play." And so that's probably another part of it. They don't have the the top 10 player, even though people have been saying Siakam's a top 10 player. He's he's floating around that probably, but I don't think he's in that like superstar yeah. category quite yet. And that that probably also hurts the team in terms of like viewership. Yeah, I think so. Um, he's not like we could we could easily say. I think we could easily say last year, especially after the playoff run, Kawhi Leonard was the best player in the NBA, right? Like barring barring the because the fact that he had his rest um, really hurt his chances at anybody even talking about him for regular season MVP, of course. But um, you know, like Giannis gets that and whatever he starts dominating, Giannis will start dominating in the in the playoffs against the Raptors. But then you put Kawhi Leonard on him, shuts him down. Kawhi Leonard is is great on the offensive and defensive end. He showed that flash, and people are like, oh well, this is probably why he sat out for twenty games during the regular season. And he's a great he's a great player. And he's like, and that's when the conversation builds up. Uh, you can't really say that yet about Siakam, and like Siakam is still a relatively young player, and he's still very fresh to the game of basketball. Right? He didn't start playing until he was what 16 17 years old or something crazy like that um he's only got he's got less than 10 years experience in the game so uh we have to sort of keep that in mind too his his ceiling will grow more than other players in that age because of the fact of his quote-unquote lack of experience with basketball um he he can become that that type of player and i think that uh, i think ultimately it will be a Giannis pascal a dominated conversation in the Eastern Conference is the best one-two players in the East, uh, unless barring some other star player moves across or whatever. Um, 
But I, I do think that that is his ceiling. I think he will reach it. I just think that right now, uh, he just hasn't been consistent enough to say that he's that type of player yet. But he still shows his flashes all the time. Yeah, I totally agree. And now, um, going back to the uh, franchise record, 13 wins in a row, what has been your favorite moments from this winning streak? And I know like this has spanned so many weeks back, and, and it's, a lot of things get lost in translation here when yeah. you're looking back at what the hell happened when they played OKC? I have no mm-hmm. idea. I can't I remember. I can't it. remember. <laughs> so, if, from what you can, um, what you can remember, and what you can, what has stuck out for you the most in this winning streak? Well, I, I think look, the the fact of the matter is they did their business against the teams that they needed to, right? And then um, we were doing sort of like a little prediction thing on the last podcast that that I'd done, and um, once we got towards the Indiana games in terms of like predictions. Uh, we kind of said, ooh, well, me, like, I, I thought they were going to win the game at home, and then I thought they were going to lose on the road to Indiana. Like, that that was my prediction. I said, look, like, it's it's been a good run for the Raptors, but um, I think that they can win one and lose one against the Pacers. They're still a good team. They're going to get Oladipo back. He might not play top minutes, but um, he, he'll still be a contributor. Uh, the fact that they won that game at home, I think for me, the moment is that um, they've really said, you know what, we're not we're not going to bow out in the final minutes of the fourth quarter. We're going to grind this game out. We're going to give it our all. And if and if we lose, then so be it. But we gave it our best effort in the moments that mattered. And the fact that they were able to pull it out, Serge Ibaka went beast mode, and he hit that dagger three uh, right right when he had the defender in his face. Like to me, that if you had to isolate a moment, it's that three. But if I want to talk about a span of moments, I think that just a collective effort of the Raptors team in the in the game at home against the Pacers, to me, that um, that gave me so much confidence even more in this team to say, wow, you're doing this without Norm and Mark. Uh, the collective, you know, this group, Terrence Davis, still producing at a high level. And I know we'll talk about him in a bit later. And I got some nice, juicy stats for him to throw out. But uh, I'm loving what I'm seeing from Terrence Davis. Just this team in general is just gelling. Uh, They're playing. They're having fun playing the game of basketball and they're giving it their all. And to me, those are the moments that you love to see. But if I had to isolate something, it's that Serge Ibaka dagger three against the Pacers. Yeah. And like talking about Serge over this stretch of games, like the 13 game winning streak, he's averaging like just under eight points seven rebounds, two assists, you know, less than a block, less than a steal. But offensively, good Lord, this guy is going crazy. Shooting 44% from three, 57.5% from the field, which is just like this guy coming into Toronto, you were thinking of him as a defensive star. And now he he is not only like, I'm not saying that he's not really good defensively anymore, but he's transitioned into being a really good second or third option offensively whenever he's out there. And sometimes he's even been the the first option if some guys don't have it going. And he's just shown, I think, through this 13 games, obviously you don't get it without that spectacular play. And another guy I want to highlight is Kyle Lowry. I think he has been the best guy on the floor um, in the basically the past 13 games. Obviously Siakam is out there. Siakam has been having uh, his relative struggles he's still playing he's still playing really well but Kyle Lowry's ability to dominate and control the game and do what he does best in terms of just 
getting this team going and, and making winning plays. I mentioned that when we were talking about Siakam, um, but making the winning plays and doing the things that not a lot of people would do for their team in a regular season game against the Knicks or a regular season game against the Hawks. Um, so those two guys have, have been what stood out to me. And I guess those are kind of cop out obvious answers. Um, and then obviously the dagger three, that game, like that yeah. comeback on Indiana. I was, uh, that was insane. Like that was crazy. I was out, we, I have a class, um, Wednesday night, six to nine. So like I was kind of watching the game, uh, as the class was going on and, boy. <laughs> <laughs> and then we all go out, uh, cause it's like a really, uh, program class. So like all of us in the program, we go cool. out to the bar after yeah. and we're watching and we're like, ah, oh, this is, this sucks. So then I go to the bar to get a drink. And I come back and there's no TV around the bar, which is ridiculous. What? But then we, yeah, is yeah, it's stupid. And Out then I come back. <laughs> I come back and I walk around the corner and it's like, oh my god, it's a three-point game. What the yeah. hell did I miss? And I was like, can we rewind or something? Like, I need to talk about this on Saturday. <laughs> this is ridiculous. So, <laughs> uh, they didn't. Um, no. But, oh, but spoiler I, yeah. alert. But I did get to see the. Uh, I did get to see the Serge Ibaka three which was like unbelievable i was going nuts i was going nuts yeah and so in this stretch of games the past 13 and and a little bit before this uh we're seeing lowry and siakam on the floor really for like the first time for a big chunk of games together this season what have you been seeing from this team with both these guys occupying the floor at the same time and then being able to transition from lowry minutes to siakam minutes and then both them together well, I think I think that Lowry and Siakam actually work really well together, and and I'm gonna preface this by saying that we hope that Kyle Lowry is out for for a very long time. Um, reports are that uh, I know he's not gonna play tonight, being we're recording this on Saturday morning, so he wouldn't play against um, the Brooklyn Nets. But um, I I do hope that his injury is not as as serious as a typical whiplash injury would be, which I've I googled it, and recovery time is three weeks. So I really hope it's not that long because <laughs> yeah. uh, that would be terrible. But um, look, I, I think I think that Lowry and Siakam complement each other really well. Um, we even saw it at the beginning of last game, right? Like the the awareness, like those guys have really high basketball IQs, and that's what makes them really good players. So um, Lowry was seeing mismatches with Pascal Siakam in the low post because they were putting guards on Siakam. So Lowry was just feeding uh, Siakam down low and Siakam was getting his points that way. Um, I think they both just have this awareness of, and now they've played together even in a capacity for, for so long, they have the awareness of knowing where the other person is going to be and where they need to be for the other person to excel. Right. So they have that understanding of, okay, I, if I'm Siakam, I know that Lowry might be taking on this driver. He might, he might wrap off a screen to shoot an open three, I'm not going to go near him because I don't want to draw the defender. So I'm going to sort of go into the corner and wait. Maybe if that defender comes in to help on a drive, Lowry can dish out to me and I can hit this three. Or if you're, if you're Lowry, you say, okay, well, like for instance, I see that mismatch with Siakam in the post I'm feeding him or I want Siakam to pick and roll here. I want him to pick and feed so that I know exactly um, where he's going to be. Or, or I know that this defender is going to cheat so that I know that Siakam will be open here. Something like that. But they, but they're very adept of understanding situations on the floor a lot, a lot more quickly than others. And I think that that's what makes them complement each other really well together. Uh, so in, in that part, I think that they're a great pairing together in terms of guard and, and forward where, um, their high IQs, uh, complemented with the fact that they're 
really good at understanding situal, situational awareness in the game uh, makes them a great duo together. Yeah, and that like that pairing is honestly perfect. I like yeah. you have the the guard who is a really good shooter, a really good passer, but then you also have the the Pascal Siakam who can work down in the post and kind of grind out some really ugly looking buckets, but he can still get them. He gets the shot down low, but he can also stretch the floor a little bit for Kyle Lowry to get in and get a shot around the rim where he is he is very good. Um, so that's a really good point. I also think like they pick each other up really well. And I think this is yes. a really real real credit to Kyle Lowry. Um, because we a lot of a lot of games, especially as of late, you see Pascal Siakam going crazy in the first quarter. He's got eight points, twelve points in the first quarter on like eighty nine percent shooting or something like that. And then the second, third, and fourth quarter comes, and as you would expect, he cools down a little bit um, yeah. and kind of comes back to his norm and shoots pretty poorly at at times and you can see that in in last night's game he yeah. started i think it was halfway through the second quarter he had 13 points and he finished with 15 um yeah. so he, when he does have those struggles you see a guy like kyle lowry really pick up his game and see how he can exploit the fact that teams are really 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 focusing on Pascal Siakam because of the really hot starts that he has. And then when they do focus him, it opens up more room for Kyle Lowry. And then having Pascal Siakam understand that and be able to at least not take up as many shots and and let Lowry do his thing and, and let Lowry get Ibaka involved, let Lowry get Terrence Davis involved, let Lowry get uh, Hollis Jefferson involved. Um, it's a really, really, really great thing to see uh, because – with guys who are turning into superstars, a lot of the time they're going to ask for the ball a lot, no matter how they're shooting. If they're shooting uh, 8 for 10, they're going to ask for the ball. If they're shooting 2 for 10, they're going to ask for the ball, and it's not yep. going to be any difference. And you see both of these guys very unselfish, um, and I think that has to do with both of them kind of not really being the man ever in their lives right. in, in terms of like – Pascal Siakam was never a number one overall pick. He was never the guy coming out of the high school. He wasn't even playing basketball in high school. Yeah. He was, you know, he wasn't the number one guy coming out of college. Um, same with Kyle Lowry. So like those two together, the the you know quote unquote chip on their shoulder, I guess, is is a really good tandem. And the the biggest thing for their success is like they just work harder than any duo. Like any two all star duo in the league, I think they work harder than the only ones that I can probably go up to is you know bam out of bio and jimmy butler and and yeah they're Giannis, hard workers yeah and like Giannis and and chris middleton but even yeah. then i think like it's kyle lowry and siakam probably are the the hardest working guys oh. on the floor in any given game like lebron lebron said that kyle lowry's the bulldog of the east right like yeah. i don't i don't know of any other guard that is as physical in the post or 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 takes as many charges as kyle lowry right like that dude is a menace on the defensive end um, and that's basically a massive testament to his to his work ethic, right? He's he's never going to give up on any play, regardless of which side of the court it's on. Um, if he has a bad shot, he is the first guy that's back on the defensive end. And it doesn't matter if it's a three on one, doesn't matter if it's two on one, doesn't matter if it's one on one, doesn't matter to him. He's he's putting his body on the line because he's like, I'm I'm going to make up for whatever I've done on the other end. Or if it's not a good defensive play for whatever reason, he's making sure on the on the offensive end he makes up for it. He's got that mentality of like I need to be that bulldog, and I think it's rubbed off on a lot of guys, especially Siakam coming up in that same thing as just like you mentioned with not being the number one guys. It's a massive impact, and and it can't be understated. 
Yeah, and I mean, it's and it's crazy how they've really been able to get on. I mean, the schedule has been very favorable for them, but it's crazy sure. how they've been able to get on this run after playing like five, six, seven games together as a unit um, and then be able to get out on this 13-game winning streak without really any hindrance, without being able to, you know, get chopped up or get caught up in any kind of BS that that's going on in the game. Uh, even especially Siakam coming off of missing like 11 straight games and, and yeah. Kyle Lowry missing a lot of time early on and like them being able to just click right away is, is a real testament to, I think that also comes in with Nick Nurse and the system that he's brought in to help both of those guys succeed the way that they have. But you do have to give credit to the players probably more than anything because that's just, that's who plays the game. That's who puts the bucket, the ball in the bucket. That's the guy who stops the ball from getting the bucket. Um, and I'm just happy that those guys are like the identity of the team, really. Absolutely. You can't. You Like, as a Raptors fan, there's there's nothing to be upset about with having those two guys on the floor. Not at all. Absolutely. Um, so you mentioned Terrence Davis a little bit earlier in the show. And now here's, here's <laughs> oh, your did. time to shine. <laughs> all this right. This is your time to shine. So we saw a career night from, from TD against the Bulls. Uh, he had 31 points. Just a, an outstanding game. Then he had a really good game again last night. Had a few really big shots um, in the game against the Pacers on Wednesday as well. He's showing some really good progress as a player and some really good progress as a rookie in this league. And and I know, I think it was you who said that you've never liked a rookie more, really, from a Toronto yeah. Raptors rookie. Um and I honestly, I totally agree. I've never been so like emotionally attached to a Raptors rookie. I've never thought a rookie deserves more playing time than yeah. Terrence Davis has uh, this season. But like, what do you see or what do you want to see from Terrence Davis to not necessarily just become a, a solid player in the NBA, but turn into that really good player that he has shown flashes of? Well, you know what? Here's the thing. Like he needs he needs more minutes. Right. Like, and, and I know that Raptors Twitter kind of goes off on that, myself included. Um, <laughs> Terrence Davis and Patrick McCaw should not be playing similar minutes. Patrick McCaw, I don't know why Nick Nurse is so enamored with Patrick McCaw, but um, I, I know that people say, look, Patrick McCaw is a really good defender and he's not going to shoot that well, but he plays really well on the defensive end. Okay, fine granted you want to say that that's fine i'll come at you with some stats okay patrick mccaw's defensive rating is 108 and for those that don't really understand defensive rating i'll explain it to you so as um as described on basketballreference.com which is where you should be getting your stats from because they're the most accurate uh defensive rating is an estimate of points allowed per 100 possessions so in this category you should want your your number to be as low as possible you don't want it to be high in this when it's offensive rating, um, it's an estimate of points produced per 100 possessions. So that number you want to be high. So you want your offensive rating to be high. You want your defensive rating to be low. Um, Patrick McCaw's defensive rating is 108. Terrence Davis's defensive rating is 106. So even at that, Terrence Davis statistically by analytics perspective is a better defender than Patrick McCaw. Offensive rating, Terrence Davis is 118. Patrick McCaw's 109. So... Even even on both ends of the floor, Terrence Davis is a better player. Terrence Davis's net rating, if you take those two numbers and you subtract them from each other, it's it's plus 12, which I've seen other numbers of like plus 14, plus 13. It just it kind of varies by game. Uh, Patrick McCaw's net rating is plus one. That's one of the worst on the team. Might be the worst. Um, 
uh, I'm taking a look at his true shooting percentage of, of uh, Terrence Davis's true shooting percentage is 629 this year. It's the highest on the team. Patrick McCaw's true shooting percentage, 541. Out of all rotation players besides Rondé Hollis Jefferson, it's the lowest on the team. So, I, why why is Patrick McCaw getting similar minutes to Terrence Davis? Can you please knock five minutes off this dude and give them to Terrence Davis? Because Terrence Davis is producing at a level that we haven't seen a rookie produce for on this team in a very long time. Those numbers are really good numbers. So the fact of the matter is he's like his his numbers are just great. Like per game, obviously, especially taking into account the beginning of the season, someone might look and say, oh, well, he's only averaging 7.9 points per game. That's fine. If you want to go per 36 minutes, he's averaging 16.7 points per game because he wasn't playing a lot of minutes, right? If you want to look at Patrick McCaw and you want to look at his per 36, so his game total is 5.1 points per game. You go, okay, well, maybe he's got a higher per 36, which most people do. But his per 36 is only 7.5. So there's a difference of almost 10 points per, per game, per, or 10 points per 36 minutes. All these numbers are just adding up to the fact that Terrence Davis is a better player. Give him the minutes. This dude is balling out. Should have been on the rising stars, but that's just slander to the Raptors, and it is what it is. But Terrence Davis is showing you that he's a valuable asset to this team. He needs to get more minutes, Nick. Stop giving them to Patrick McCaw. Guy's giving you zero points, two points, zero points per game. Like he's not even a good like Terrence Davis is a better defender. <laughs> I don't get it. I don't, I don't, I don't get it. I've I still keep trying to wrap my head around this. I don't get it. Not only is he miles better on the offensive end, he is better on the defensive end as well. Um I just give him the minutes, man. Like that's the only way he's gonna continue to ball out. If you keep cutting his minutes or you keep limiting his minutes and giving them more to Patrick McCaw, not only is that going to frustrate Terrence Davis, it's not going to give him the ability to build. So it's not going to give him the ability to grow as a player. You have to do that. Now that you've seen it, you have to let him grow with more minutes and you have to reward that because he's giving you really good efforts, especially over the last month. Yeah. And to me, like a big thing that I've noticed with Nick nurse at the like bottom end of the rotation is he likes to do very like performance related minutes play. Yes. So yes. if Terrence Davis is having a rough game offensively, he will lean more on Patrick McCaw, who is mm-hmm. also going to have a rough time <laughs> offensively because yeah. he that's just his life. That's just what he does. Yes. So I, like to me, I don't understand where like how how far the leash is for Terrence Davis and how much run he is supposed to be given here because like like you're saying all these numbers just add up to a better player the eye test adds up to a better player yeah Patrick McCaw I don't see being a part of the future of the Raptors I think uh, Nick Nurse will probably argue with me till the day I die about that yes he will (laughs) but Terrence Davis should be he has the identity of the Toronto Raptors, like I mentioned, like we talked about with Siakam and, and Kyle Lowry, hardworking guy, solid defensively, makes winning plays. He does a lot of things that Patrick McCaw doesn't do that just equal to a better player. You mentioned the advanced stats. Across the board, he's better. True shooting, PER, free throw rate, three-point rate, rebound rate, like assist percentage, block there percentage. There we go. That's all it. All of it. Like, yes. and, and, and you can see like when, when Patrick McCaw is out there, 
he's not being used as much. You look at the usage rate. Pat, uh, Patrick McCaw's at 9.8, and Terrence Davis is at 18.2. So to me, if you're throwing Patrick McCaw out there to stand around and really do nothing while you're playing Terrence Davis the same amount of minutes, if not less, but he's doing more when he's out there, I don't understand where that correlates and why you would have Terrence Davis not playing significantly more minutes than McCaw when he's actually impacting the game when he's out there. That's it's the because, thing that... It's because McCaw's a three-time champion. He was plus seven one game, so like, give him his, you know give him his yeah. respect. Okay? Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> Patty, Patty Mack, the only reason we went on that 13-game uh, 13 win streak, I'd have to say, right? Uh, honestly, that's he was he was the key to the cog. He was the key that that drove the bus on this thirteen game win streak. And honestly, like just I I would say give him forty minutes in the game next game. Like I would just run him out. Like yeah, that's an that's an automatic ring, right? Yeah, that's how it works. It's it's what yeah, it he doesn't he he never loves. <laughs> he never loves. So like you tell me, all right? This guy this guy does, doesn't have one single L on his on his resume. So he's got something going on. Uh, so this week, um, we did talk about how like little amount of minutes uh terrence davis has been playing but uh this week he played in the three games that the raptors played he was you know just a a smidge under 27 minutes a game averaging just under 20 points 60 percent from three on 6.7 attempts per game that's not bad and 65.7 percent um from the field the guy the guy has been getting run as of late, but like I said, it's been very performance-based because you look at the game against Cleveland, he got seven minutes, and then at Detroit, he got 10 minutes and 49 seconds. It's it's a bit ridiculous, and in the last in the last 10 games, uh, he's averaged just over 17 minutes a night, which is a smidge up from what he averages on the season, and he only has four games with more than 20 minutes, and those are pretty much all coming in the last three um, I guess we, we kind of tackled this, that they, they should increase. Um, and I, I don't know, man. Do you see a future where Terrence Davis is is getting 25, 26, 27 minutes a night with this Raptors team? Yeah, I do. And and here's the thing. Lowry will eventually move on from this team or retire or go, on, go into a bench role, right? So assuming that you have a guy like Fred Van Vliet still on this team, um, that would be your point guard. And you might look to slot a Terrence Davis in a shooting guard, or maybe uh, depending on like what what Norm Powell like. There, I it, it, there's a lot of different variables that go into this, right? Like in the next three years, um, assuming that Terrence Davis is still on this team in three years, one of Kyle Lowry, Fred VanVleet, or Norman Powell will probably not be on this team, or or not in the same role that they are, or whatever. Whether it's a trade or free agency or whatever. There is a lot of opportunity for Terrence Davis to get his space or at least run what Fred Van Vliet has been doing for the last few years and be that six man where he's not necessarily in the starting uh, lineup, but he's getting good rotational minutes uh, and could be in that six man of the year conversation. I think that that's a good uh, step for Terrence Davis to to strive towards a good goal for him to look towards uh, over the over the next like year or two. Uh, and then I think that eventually his play will will determine the fact and force Nick's Nick's hand, uh, which I still still believe Nick will be coaching the Raptors in a couple of years. Uh, it'll force Nick's hand to make put him in the starting rotation. I don't think that there will be any question about it. And uh, Terrence is uh, he's not he's not a young rookie, like in terms of rookies, he's not a young rookie. Um, 
his he's has an NBA ready body. He's got that high IQ. Um, it's not like you're going to need to wait for him to play a couple years to get to the age where he's at now and get that development in under him. Um, I, I think that he will get it eventually. It's probably going to take a couple years and a couple of guys will have to not be no longer be on this team. But I think that he will get there at some point or get solid six man minutes. Yeah. And, you know, he he should be there. And I think it's it's a especially with the play that he's had while while uh, Powell has been out, um, you know, there's got to be a discussion on as to should he be taking minutes from Norm Powell. It's, it's no question to me that he should be taking a few minutes from Patrick McCann. When I say a few, I mean, essentially all of them. <laughs> all of them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, but you look at how Powell's been playing as well, and and that is a really great problem to have. You don't. I'm at the same time, it's a tough problem to to face because then you're going to be taking minutes from a really good player away, and and either way, if you if you're taking minutes from Davis and giving them to Powell or Powell to Davis, um, I think there should be a conversation where you look at it and say, I think whoever's hot on this night between Powell and Davis should be getting those six man minutes because both of them have been so good. Both of them impact the game in in different ways but they still both impact the game to a certain extent and and in a really positive manner because they're both really solid players as i mentioned like five or six times already um but i think that's that's kind of where you look at it and you see the progress made he he just he is an nba player that's that's all you can say there's a lot of people who come in and, and a lot of undrafted guys who come in a lot of fourth year uh, college players that come in who just aren't NBA ready. You said he's got the NBA body, but he's also kind of got the NBA mind. He's got the NBA mindset. Yeah. He's got the NBA work ethic. He's doing all this stuff. I would say, you know, better than a lot of rookies who do come in and, and like the snub from the, from the all-star game was, or the rut. Well, the, the rising, rising stars, stars challenge, yeah. the all-star weekend. Um, it, you know, I think it's probably it's not going to happen next year. I'll tell you I that got, right now. I got I got a beef with the rising stars thing, and I kind of threw this out on social media. My beef with it is is this: if you're an all star, so you I'm should, talking 100%. about Luca Luca Doncic, Trey Young. How are you? How are you? You're not a rising star. You're an all star. Yeah. You're not rising anymore. Like you like rising stars should be for those that aren't all stars yet, but. Um, but will become them or have the potential to become all-stars one day. Luca and Trey are already all-stars. Luca is arguably one of the best all-stars on there. And Trey like, is, is one of the best guards in the league. And you're going to tell me that they're going to play in the Rising Stars contest. Those dudes will ball and get, they'll, 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 they'll dick around and get 80 points. <laughs> and they, if they really wanted to each, like, are you kidding? But I, I just, I don't know. I don't think that that's fair that they take up two spots and obviously it's nothing against Luca or Trey. It's not like they make the rules. They're just told, Hey, you're an all-star, you're a rising star, right? So it's nothing against those guys. And I, I love both of them, but the NBA should really look into changing that because that's, that's honestly like I would rather see, and not even just the fact that this has Terrence Davis involved in it. I'd rather see two more dudes that I'm not super familiar with or, or on the West that I haven't had a chance to really see. I'd rather see two of those guys play in the rising stars than see Luca and Trey because at least I know what they are and I've seen enough of them I'd rather see more dudes as a as a fan I'd rather see more guys that I'm not 100% sure of or haven't fully seen this year due to just like not watching their games as much I'd rather see those players than than the all-stars already yeah no I uh I I totally agree I am I am right I'm right there with you Mm -hmm. so 
That's it for our Encore Talk. We're going to be right back in just a moment where we're going to do our predictions for next week and talk a little bit about our favorite games from last week. Back again. As always, we finish off these podcasts with a quick predictions going into next week and talking a little bit about how last week played out and what we liked about those games. So we're going to start off with last week. There was only three games on the sketch. Uh, Sunday, they played the Chicago Bulls. Pacers on Wednesday, Pacers on Friday. We know how those went down. Three wins, three straight wins. What do you see for which of those three games was your favorite to watch? Was it the one you were most excited for or... Or is it just one of those games where entertainment value was through the roof? Oh, man, that Bulls game was so exciting, <laughs> eh? Like, <laughs> no, it, honestly, like, the most exciting game to me was that, uh, was was the home game against the Pacers. And um, uh, the fact, that, and it kind of alludes to sort of what I was saying before, the fact of the, of the matter is this, they were down, they they were up in that game, and then they just blew it. They, they kind of had this lapse in the second quarter, and Indiana shot probably arguably the the the, uh, the best that they've ever shot maybe in franchise history and they still lose the game <laughs> right like to me i take solace in the fact that we were able to um weather a storm in in terms of the storm being that deadly three-point shooting from the pacers that we haven't really seen this year from them so it was kind of a surprise dougie button mcbuckets finds a way Whatever jersey that dude wears, he it doesn't matter who he's playing for against the Raptors. He's like, oh, I'm I'm licking my chops. I'm going for 20 plus. I'm <laughs> gonna hit like eight threes in the game. Uh, y'all are gonna be decimated by my threes, and he just becomes like JJ Redick on steroids for sharpshooters. Um, so look, give him give him their credit. But I loved the Raptors fighting that, and to me, like as a fan, seeing that comeback. I was sitting there in that game and they were down by 19 at one point. And I was kind of sitting there and I'm like, I'm not even really worried. Like, is that a, is that, is that bad? Right? Like we're down by almost 20 points and I'm sitting here kind of thinking, well, they can, yeah, I know this team, they'll, they'll probably come back. So it was kind of crazy to see that. And, uh, you know, the Raptors would get it close and by like within like three points and then Indiana would go on like a seven oh run and it'd be 10 points again. And then the Raptors would slowly climb back up to make it like four, three, two points, and then that seven oh run again. And I'm like, oh. So it was just it was so much of a emotional roller coaster. So to me, that was the most exciting game of the week for sure. Yeah, I that's a no brainer. Um that fourth quarter was absurd. And one of the reasons it was so crazy was Pascal Siakam, Kyle Lowry, and Serge Ibaka were the only three players that scored. That's in crazy. That, in that fourth quarter. All thirty seven points coming from those three guys, Siakam at 10, Lowry 12. Serge Ibaka obviously went off. Um, he had 15, but that big three-pointer was was the biggest one. And that was the most fun to watch. You yeah. Know, you, you were, that was the most fun to watch for sure. The comeback was crazy. Comebacks are always always the best. It was like, I think it was last year where they had a huge comeback against the Pacers as well. I love it. Yeah, and it. well, and they, yeah, the Pacers are just kind of sitting there going, "We led for like ninety nine percent of this game, <laughs> yeah. yeah, and we lose." Are you kidding? Like, sorry, I'd be so sorry, upset. boys. Sorry, yeah. boys. It so is she goes. So she goes. So she goes. Um, so coming up into this next week, they've got a four games schedule. Um, obviously tonight recording this on Saturday. So if you're listening to this on Sunday, you'll already know what happens in this Nets game. They're playing the Nets. On, on Saturday, Monday, they got the Timberwolves at home. They're going to go to Brooklyn to play the Nets on Wednesday. Then on Friday, they're going to be in Toronto playing 
the Phoenix Suns, who had a huge win last night against the Houston Rockets, but that's that's a that's a story for a different day. Yeah. Um. So out of these four games, which one are you looking forward to the most? Um, I actually I'm going to say the Timberwolves game and just strictly on the fact that I want to see D'Angelo Russell and Carl Anthony Towns play together. Um, I think it was a very interesting trade in getting D'Lo to Minnesota. Obviously, um, most basketball fans would know that at some point there was a uh, slam uh, article uh, released that had the cover of D'Angelo Russell, Carl Anthony Towns and Devin Booker. And those three are notably very close. Like they're like this generation's banana boat. <laughs> and uh they they kind of publicly stated that all three of them would like to play on the same team at one point uh carl anthony towns voices frustration uh over uh, the trade deadline acquisition or, or lack thereof when they shipped out roco and i think that minnesota really had no choice but to get d'angelo russell uh to sort of uh, compliment, and I think this is a good compliment move for Carl Anthony Towns, but it also uh, boosts his morale because that's his boy, right? Like now you can play with one of your best friends, and now you don't think about really leaving Minnesota. So, um, to me, I love to see their chemistry, especially very early on. I just want to see how they're going to play off of each other, uh, and then the rest of their team is kind of doo doo. So <laughs> I want to see if if any other role players sort of try to step up and, and become that third option, because obviously uh, Carl Anthony Towns and D'Angelo Russell are going to be the one two punch. But we'll see if maybe someone like a Josh Koji steps up and uh, or Kogi, I've heard is what people say is pronounced. But uh, I, lo- I love to see if one of those guys sort of step up, maybe a Jared Culver, someone along the lines of that and, and just to say, yo, I'm going to I'm going to take the reins here and uh, and be that third guy and be that outlet when one or two of them are, are sitting. So that's that to me is going to be the most interesting game just from an opponent perspective. Yeah. And that game that game is going to be fun to watch because like the Raptors could potentially put up like 180 points. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, no, absolute zero defense. <laughs> yeah. So that'll be like that'll be a fun game to watch. Uh, and then same thing with the Suns like Devin Booker's all like I love watching Devin Booker play and it's it's hard to to get Phoenix Suns games anywhere in Toronto um, just because they're the Phoenix Suns. Um, so being able to watch him play and, you know, go up against a really, really good defense, see how he can see how he can ball out. And obviously Brooklyn Nets, um, they're probably the best competitor out of those four or three teams. But then again, like they still kind of suck. I think they can go. I think the Raptors can go four and here in this week. I, I, I agree. I agree, actually. <laughs> yeah. So like they're going to go into the uh, all-star weekend with a 17 game winning streak. That's my that's my that's my not so hot take for today honestly though like i think i think it could happen see then the thing is they would have to for win number 18 it would have to be against the pacers and the um the longest win streak is held by the bucks at 19 games correct yes Um, they would to get to 19 they'd have to play milwaukee play the Bucks. yeah that's yeah it's it's crazy because that's like their only tough game since like january 2nd against the heat well, and, well, not, and that's just it, right? Because after yeah. that, you it's look and it's Hornets. Yeah. Well, no, no, yeah, it's like, yeah, I mean, that's fuck. That's it's kind of it's kind of crazy. Yeah. To think about, but, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, that'll do it for today's show. I think uh, the end of this week they're going to be seventeen 
straight wins. Connor says the same thing. Everybody, as always, thank you so much for listening. Uh, Connor, thank you for coming on the podcast. And no where can people where can people find you? Oh, they can check out my work and on my podcast. It's the TSV podcast. Uh, any any type of platform uh, or podcast platform, so Apple, Google, Spotify, uh, Stitcher, all that fun stuff. Uh, you can check us out on there. Um, I also you can follow me on Twitter at to underscore sports views. Uh, and you can check out the website, torontosportsviews.com. Uh, I'm going to be uh, probably doing up a couple new podcasts within the next week or two. And and who knows, maybe maybe yours truly, Hunter, might join me on one of the podcasts. So we'll have to uh, we'll have to see scheduling-wise how that works out. But um, yeah, Hunter, it's been a blast, man. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely, man. And as always, we always end this show with a little Go Raptors. Go Raps, baby.